Alright, alright everyone, it is January 15th, 2019, and it is episode number five of Bear With Me. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mambo number five. like to have fun around here that was a knockoff version of mambo number five and uh yeah because it's the fifth and i actually got this far and i just wanted to do a little celebratory music all right so let's get into it hello everyone and welcome to another episode of bear with me a bi-monthly podcast that talks about the issues of the central valley of california with a queer socialist perspective i am your host just bear a queer socialist justice druid born and bred in the belly button of california say that three times fast and roll for directsity all right wanted to jump in with some events and announcements so start off with a bit of sad news it's um, an absolute gut punch heartache that I share of the passing of Dr. Sue Stone she passed away January 4th 2019 defeated by a rare type of stage 4 endometrial cancer her memorial service is going to be on February 2nd from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Fresno. She was an advocate for the LGBT community, the environment, and the deaf community, among others. In particular, I wanted to highlight her work with the transgender community. She was one of three known doctors who specialized in transgender health care in the Central Valley. Myself and my husband were patients of hers at different points of our transitional journey. She gave my husband his first hormone therapy treatment. She helped me regain uh, access to my prescriptions when my insurance was jerking me around. And she helped facilitate the beginnings of a transgender clinic in partnership with CUSF Community Hospital. Finally, one of my favorite things uh, in remembrance of her was she was a judge at the trans ball pageant that's held by the Imperial Dove Court in 2018. I know that because I was one of the pageant participants. So to, for me to see her passion for justice in her work and in her after hours is a true example, in my opinion, of an ally and a friend and I will truly miss seeing her and her big heartfelt smile. As I said, one of the many things Sue was passionate about was health care for the trans community. In her final years, she was working with the trans community, local health care practitioners, and Fresno State to establish a mobile clinic to meet a huge need here in Fresno. Sadly, she did not live to see this dream become a reality, but the family of Dr. Stone would like to encourage you to make a donation to the clinic to honor her memory. And I'm going to post the link 
to the donation page on this episode once it's aired for those who are interested. There are other things going on. Um, I know that delegate elections are going to be happening. What are delegate elections, you may ask? Well, let me tell you about that. So every two years, the California Democrats elect seven self-identified females and seven other than self-identified females from each assembly district in California as delegates to the state party. Those who are elected will have a chance to vote for the new party chair and other leadership. The race is hotly contested and will determine how welcoming, grassroots focused and innovative the party becomes or how beholden it will remain to big money interests. Delegates elect party officers, endorses candidates for statewide legislative and congressional office, attend the annual convention, network with other Democrats, represent your constituency, promote the California Democratic Party agenda, and vote to endorse resolutions and ballot measures. All right, so blah, 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 what does that all mean to you? Well, if you live in Assembly District 23, that means you have an opportunity to vote for the People Power AD23 slate. And it's going to be held at the CWA Local 9048 and that is 4422 East Ashland Avenue, which is Ashland and 168 Freeway. And you can check your district online at adems.vote. And this slate of folks are incredibly progressive, socialist, activists, advocates for Medicare for all, for immigrant rights, for refugee rights, for trans rights, for GLBTQIA folks, for brown folks, for black folks, folks that are actually doing the work and now they want to take it one step further and actually be the folks that vote to elect or endorse the people that represent the Democratic Party. So if you're a Democrat, or at least if you're registered as a Democrat, and you live in this district, you can go to this meeting on Saturday, January 26th at 10 a.m. at the address that I mentioned, and I will post it again, but you can go to this and you can vote for these people who will actually represent your interests. So if you don't live in AD 23, but you live in another district, you should find out when your delegates are being elected, and you should definitely check out how you can actually vote for the people who are making the calls for who gets endorsed and who gets support within the party that you're affiliated with. True democracy in action by putting it back in the hands of the people, okay? Okay. And final really cool announcement and newsflash, I hinted or at least let people know that there might be a strike going on at the Fresno Superior Court. And it looks like it did happen today. Hundreds of Fresno Superior Court workers are on strike, as is written by yourcentralvalley.com. 
and they're claiming unfair labor practices. Negotiations have been going on since July. Services are very limited right now. They want for court reporters to get 40 hours in the work week instead of the 35 when they were cut back down in 2012 during the recession. They also are looking for a 4% raise and for the entire increase on their health insurance to be paid, which seems pretty fucking reasonable to me. But apparently the the courthouse continues to cite budget concerns and the union is no longer having any of it. So now they are on strike. They were out there this morning at the courthouse. Hundreds of them were out there and they're going to be there again at the Fresno Superior Court tomorrow, or excuse me, yeah, Wednesday, the 16th, at eight o'clock in the morning so if you support unions if you support folks getting paid fair wages and actually getting the time of work that they want to have and to have their health insurance covered you should support them go out there make some signs make some noise bring them some coffee bring them some donuts and you know stand with them yes there is always more power in the union. All right, with all of those announcements out of the way, let's get to the big chunk of news that I'm sure is on everybody's mind, and that is the government shutdown. We are now experiencing the longest-running government shutdown in America history. Yay! Go team, we're number one. America's great again. Federal employees are in almost every sector of the of the federal government are either being furloughed, which means they're not working and they will not get paid for the time that they are out of work, or they're working without pay because they're part of quote-unquote essential services. In the past, when we've had government shutdowns, if those who worked you know, and weren't getting paid, you know, they lasted through the, the shutdown, they would get back pay. That is not a guarantee this time, particularly for how long it's been going on. Uh, so they're essentially just living with a baseless hope that they may get paid after the government starts up again, if it does start up again. So this has been going on now for almost a month. I believe it's been about 25 days. So we have the Central Valley, 13,000 federal employees that are not getting paid, with the largest chunk in Fresno, a whopping 10,000 people that have not received any pay for almost a month, and there is no guarantee of ever seeing a check from that time lost. These people that work in particular in the IRS, we have a very large processing plant in Fresno, and so there's a lot of people that not only work there full-time, but there's a lot of people that work there seasonal during tax season, and none of those people are working for pay. There are no people getting hired for the seasonal stuff right now. It is not sure when these IRS jobs are going to start up again. Yeah, so right now they are not processing anything. Jason Sisk, who's a customer service representative 
uh, for the IRS uh, told the Fresno Bee that President Trump said tax returns will still be processed, but the largest site in the country is here in Fresno, and no one in that building is working on tax returns right now. So there is that. So you have 10,000 people plus however many seasonal workers that they get that are out of work. They haven't had any pay for about a month. That means they have, if they didn't have any savings, which most of them don't, most folks are living paycheck to paycheck. That means they are borrowing money and they are running out of savings, if they had any, to pay the rent, to pay the utilities, to pay car payments, to buy fucking food. So, um, and that's another issue that is going to be very evident in the next month or so. The Central California Food Bank is preparing to be inundated with a wave of hungry citizens should the SNAP or food stamp benefits run out in February, which is looking like it is. That is the what experts are saying when food stamp benefits will run out. The child supplement for food stamps is supposed to run out in March. So kids have a little bit of buffer, but not much. (sighs) And according to CalFresh, which runs the SNAP benefits, there are 544,000 people that receive SNAP benefits in the five county area of the Central Valley. So that's Fresno County, Kings, Madera, Tulare, and Merced. So, and despite being called the breadbasket of the nation, the Central San Joaquin Valley contains some of the nation's highest concentrations of food insecurity. More than one in four people in Tulare County that's 25% of the residents receive CalFresh benefits. And Fresno is typically at or near the top in national food insecurity studies of metropolitan areas. Huge issues surrounding food insecurity already. We've had this for a while. So a lot of people either use CalFresh if they are able to get it, that's food stamps, and also cash aid, you know, that those are very interlinked things. Cash aid is basically money that helps folks pay for essentials. This is usually given to folks that are uh, homeless or are living, you know, uh, either on couches or in, in service programs or something like that. They get like a little bit of money in order to buy things like toothpaste, socks, deodorant, you know, buy, a, you know, hot food every once in a while. So all of these things are going to be affected if this shutdown continues here in the Central Valley. So not only are people concerned about food being an issue, oh yes, and the Central California Food Bank is very concerned because they already um, provide a great deal of uh, food to the community. They say that 
they provide for 280,000 residents in the five county area. So imagine then if f an extra 500,000 people that are on SNAP benefits and uh, full disclosure, that includes me, is suddenly without 75 to 200 or $300 that covers their grocery bills. They're concerned that they're going to see something akin to a natural disaster in that tens of thousands of people could suddenly need help in a matter of days. So this is a very serious concern and they're taking it very seriously and preparing for that asking for more donations in order to prepare for um, this onslaught. So you have the food crisis, you have also um, a housing crisis. So we know California has a housing crisis in general. Affordable, actual true affordable housing is very difficult if and not impossible to find. And that includes the Central Valley. Even though our rents are cheaper, we still don't have enough housing for the people that live here. Vacancy rates are absolutely abysmal. There's almost never any vacancies for any sort of rentals. The prices, while they are substantially cheaper than San Francisco, the cost of rent is still rising. So you're, and we don't have the same amount of uh, wage that is coming in too. So we're seeing folks that usually work for around uh, 10 to $15. I mean, but that really, that's a barely a living wage. That's really not a living. So all of that with housing, there is now a fear from housing advocates that the shutdown could lead to the eviction of thousands of low-income renters who live in government-subsidized apartments. This is Section 8. This is things where like, there are contracts between government and private landlords who are investors um, and they work out, you know, will help pay for this if you basically, you know, cover this portion of these people's rent and then we keep the rents low, right? So that is something that I also am personally living in. I live in a maximum income apartment where based on my income, I can only make a certain like top amount and I get a reduced income uh uh rent which is very good because I know that I would not be able to afford the type of housing that I have now if I were to go out to the regular market here in Fresno. Decent apartments now run anywhere from fifteen to two thousand dollars a month. That's about what I make, me and my husband make. Um, in in that time period so that would just be a non-starter for us but this is going to affect the entirety of the central valley and the nation but it it'll hit 
really hard here where we already have such difficulty finding decent housing at affordable rates. So all of this bad news and worst of all, hold on to your wine glasses because our wine supplies could be affected. Because of the shutdown, farmers cannot apply to the USDA, that's the U.S. Department of Agriculture, for new loans or financial relief due to foreign trade disputes, due to droughts, due to flooding, etc. and so forth. So the shutdown could affect the wine industry because the federal government has to approve every label of every new release. So releases that are of new wine that are coming in the market, say in March, April, etc., they need every label approved. They need to make sure of each varietal, what the alcohol content is, and what the vintage is. And that's all done by the government. But the government can't do that if it's shut down. You know, if, if you are a connoisseur of wine, stock up now, you may not see any new stuff for a while. All of this pain, all of this misery being trickled down to the bottom 99% of the American population, and for what? Trump's demand that any appropriations bill include funding for a U.S.-Mexico border wall. So he throws a temper tantrum because he can't get funding for his fascist wall. And that's the narrative we're getting. There is also some theories that I've been hearing in different aspects of the internet that, yes, he does believe in the wall and he wants to have the wall. But another aspect of this could be that this is a part of a larger plan of the Republicans in government who want to kill the government and any sort of social assisting programs that they consider to be a waste of money. This is a very good way to basically drown those programs. And this might be why <laughs> the Republicans that are currently representing some of us in Congress are allowing uh, Mitch McConnell in allowing, sorry, the Senate leader uh, to not put forward any bills that would probably be passed at this point. There are now folks from both sides of the aisles that are saying, uh, okay, this has gone on long enough. We need to have the government working again because my constituents are freaking the hell out. And nobody's putting anything out on the floor to be voted on because... They have this very weird people in leadership that decided that they're not going to move until this wall is funded. This is a very weird and really scary time for a lot of people. And yes, in particular me, poor queer person in the Central Valley who I don't consider myself, I, I know I'm not well off, but I know I am well off in comparison to hundreds of people in the queer community that don't even have the luxury of 
somehow not being able to get onto food stamps that aren't able to get subsidized because they make just a little too much in their three part-time jobs and it really is really frightening that these social security nets are going to literally be cut out from underneath us so that's what it looks like that's how it's going to affect what how it is affecting the central valley and i'm telling you right now how it's affecting me personally as a poor queer person and my husband who is also a poor queer person but also someone who relies on social security and the department of rehabilitation these things are government federal government entities without those things he will not be able to go to school he will not be able to get that great diploma that everyone keeps saying you need to have in order to become a successful adult I gotta tell you without the Department of Rehab he would not have been able to be as successful as he is now not be able to go to school not be able to get the tools needed to be successful with with his disability we would not be able to live as comfortably as we do even with as little as we have because he would not be able to get um, Social Security um, benefits so yeah so all of that is happening and you know we stare into the abyss and we think what are we going to do and you know other than hold our breaths and see how long the shutdown is going to go for but what are we supposed to do as a community as a society when this government um, and this uh, leadership is not taking care of us is not looking out for our best interests what should we do right how you know where should we be putting our time and money and energy what little money and resources we have and I've been thinking a lot about that and on one of the myriad of podcasts that I listen to um, as a segue here um, they were talking to a environmental expert about you know climate change and how I mean you know maybe we shouldn't worry too much about this government thing since uh, the earth may not be livable in a few years but the person being interviewed was relaying that he gets asked a lot about where are going to be the best places to live during a you know when the natural disasters get really bad you know when the earthquakes and hurricanes and flooding and tsunamis you know make most of the places that we live uninhabitable and his answer was very interesting to me he said that it isn't going to be so much geography that saves us it's going to be how well connected we are as a society who are the people that are going to have the best community 
organizations and who are working together to survive, to pass on resources and to work collectively to, to get through a changing world. I feel very strongly that, you know, this is one of these opportunities to sort of practice that. There's also been a meme going around uh, saying, hey, since the government shut down and not working, can we just start a new one while it's, you know, uh, on shutdown? And while, you know, certainly no one like me or, you know, anyone probably like me can't just go in and start a new federal government um, from scratch, it is an, an interesting suggestion that we could start to look at what is going on that is making this particular government so disastrous I mean obviously other than a complete horrible awful people that are running it how did they get there it was part of a a breakdown in the laws and the civility that we have for each other or is it something else? Is there something else going on that can be addressed and maybe changed? Maybe there's a deeper underlying structure of these power dynamics that we could start to address and start to maybe analyze a little more critically. Why are these people in power? Well, other than allegedly they got voted in but the reason they got voted in for was because of power because they had money because they had connections is it because perhaps we have this strange equation in this country that money equals power and intelligence and therefore we should allow the rich to govern and rule us and If we're good servants, I mean citizens, we will be rewarded by these grand czars that hold our government and our resources above our heads. Maybe it's less about the personalities that are put on display and less about the pins that people wear on their lapels, whether they be blue or red, whether they have donkeys or elephants. And maybe we should start talking about how these two wings of this government that we have are a part are attached to the one diseased body of capitalism. The economic system that drives us all over into the abyss. This, that's where we're heading now. It is in the pursuit of being the richest person, of having the most stuff, of having the most success instead of looking out for the person next to us. Looking out for ourselves, but we as societal creatures, as creatures that cannot function without 
working with and communicating with and collaborating with others. Maybe we should look at structures of power or structures of living and working that are more in tune with taking care of each other. And for this bear, that particular mode of economic structure is democracy, social democracy. It means that not only do we show that we care for each other by creating resources for everyone, basic necessities of food, of clothing, of housing, of health care, and work, but putting economic gain in its rightful place that it's nice but it's not necessary that it's not necessary for the individual but it can impact in large part a greater whole of humanity democracy and a, a socialist democracy um, is is one where socialism is a part of every part of our lives not just how we get goods for living like going to a marketplace for instance where that's often where we start off right the marketplace but also where we work where we go to school those are the places that we spend most of our time and those are the places that should be set up in a more democratic fashion a lot of the folks that I listen to, uh, Richard Wolf, Chris Hedges, um, uh, El Chapo Trap House, uh, a lot of the ideas that I hear and I appreciate is the idea that you know Americans as a whole, we say we believe in democracy. We believe that one vote for each person in the electoral coliseum, right? Every voice is heard through the vote every voice matters allegedly I mean that's the story we tell ourselves we know that's not necessarily true but just hang on with me here why is it that isn't the same when we go to work why is it when we go to work we are tiered into a pyramid shape where there is the boss who delegates all the work and keeps all the money where and all the workers at the bottom do all the work and get absolute pittance if they're lucky and they have no say in that decision unless they rise up together and force the managers and the bosses to give concessions but as we've learned in looking at union history those concessions can very easily be taken away because it's still a us versus them mentality in the workplace so no matter what workers may gain through a strike and through a union the bosses are always going to find a way to undermine that to take those things away they'll fire the union workers they'll negotiate out the the health care benefits, the raises, and they'll say it's because of budget concerns, it's because of the economy, it's because blah, blah, blah. 
until the union workers are almost back to starting at zero again. So why not have companies built in such a way where everyone from the person who is running the projects to the person that is putting those projects together they all start out on the same level they start out with either the same pay or very close to the same pay and every week everyone comes together for a meeting and they talk about and they vote on how they want to spend the money that the company is making either through improvements of the products improvements of the workplace or raises or if there is difficulty in selling with the company they can negotiate amongst themselves and that's everybody everybody negotiating well we're going through a slump right now we'll just cut a few hours off of everybody's work week and then everyone you know will still be able to work and still get money in order to survive but no one will have to be fired and no one will lose their job until things pick up again things like that that is democracy in the workplace at least that's how I understand it and what an amazing world it would be if we could see more spaces like that not just in places like I believe it is Spain there there is a huge um, uh, democratized workplace that was hugely successful and there are places in America that are also doing that same thing where they're moving from the top-down approach to a more democratic one and I think if we want to see you know real change in the long term I think we need to start making our everyday lives reflect how we want to see our government run so if you're interested in that particularly now that we're looking at God knows how long the federal government's going to last and we're going to need to start relying on each other I would highly recommend going to democracy at work which is a website run by Richard Wolf. He does an amazing podcast called Economic Update, which is a half-hour podcast that uh, loads every Friday. Uh, they also have a uh, Patreon, um, where, and they're also on YouTube. He explains the concepts of democracy at work and also talks about the things that are going on in the economy that you know are often overlooked you know you know related to making it a more socially equitable world but yeah you know you know with everything that I just said I know that that's something that I'm trying to provide I don't know how I don't know when but if I ever get the chance you betcha that is something that I want to provide the world that I live in which is Fresno, California. So, anyway, all right, that's it for now on the government shutdown. If 
we hear about that ending anytime soon, of course, we will talk about it here on Bear With Me. But, you know, of course, we, I personally hope that it doesn't last too much longer. But if we do have to, you know, deal with that, um, I hope that my community will be able to rise together and support each other. So, we're going to do a little sponsorship mess message. It's not an official sponsorship. I'm just practicing. And just FYI, if anyone's ever interested in sponsoring this show, I would love it so long as you're not some evil, off, awful corporate mechanism that, you know, uh, I have some sort of issue with. Um, but I will definitely do shout-outs for local podcasts, local artists, local business folks that are doing good work. So if you're interested in hearing me talk about your cool project on this show, you can hit me up. Anyway, Bear With Me is unofficially brought to you by Blind Unicorn Crafts. Blind Unicorn Crafts is an Etsy store with hand crocheted scarves, hats, blankets, shawls, dog sweaters, and more. All items are made by a fabulous blind trans man who happens to be my husband. So support the pod by supporting Blind Unicorn Crafts at Etsy.com and on Facebook. Thank you once again for bearing with me. And if you'd like to let me know what you think about this show, any comments or suggestions, you can email me at bearwithmepodcastinfo at gmail.com or swing by my Facebook page. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can cash at me at cash.me slash dollar sign bearwme. Until next time, I hope every one of you stays warm and safe and well-fed. Oh shit, still playing.